This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter. And join me in saying, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I'm, I'm so excited about 1 Peter. I know you're not, but I think you will be. I've just been thinking about this fine letter in our congregation, the season we're living in, and I just think it's a gift from God. So, sorry for my enthusiasm for God's Word. 1 Peter, chapter 1. This is God's Word, inspired, infallible, inerrant, a gift to us. We're going to read and look at today the first two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important important thing about us. Why is this true? Maybe it's because of what John Calvin said. Man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state. He doesn't know who he is until he has compared himself with God's majesty. We can tend to think of God as just a bigger and better version of ourselves. This is how many people in our culture today think about God. He's just, he's just like us, just much better. But even from these opening verses of 1 Peter, it's clear Peter's going to tell us about a God it's nothing like humans. 
He's different than us. I have a picture here of Jesus, quote unquote. When I was converted in 1977, this picture was very popular. And it resonated with me because I had come to know Christ and the, the picture looked like you know, a cool friend I could hang with. And it, it kind of captured some things that were going on in my soul. It looked like somebody I'd enjoy being with and I enjoyed being with Christ. But the picture has some problems. And as I grew in the faith, I discerned this. And really, this is not, I hate to burst your bubble, I know some of you have got this picture hanging prominently in your home. But this, this picture is not a biblical portrait. And in many ways, it's misleading. This is a dangerous image. This is Jesus created in our own image. It just doesn't represent the biblical Jesus. I don't display this picture in my home, but I kept it. I have it. Just so I can look at it, it reminds me of all that I think the Spirit has done through the Word to help me see Jesus more truly. You can take that off now. I want that hanging over my head. One, one early theologian said it this way, God is someone than whom none greater can be conceived. God is someone than whom none greater can be conceived. He's the perfect being. We can only understand God by beginning there. We tend to think about God from our own experience. But when we do this, we risk creating a God in our own image. We define His attributes and His characteristics according to our own limitations. Even as we walk through these first two verses today, we're going to see it just doesn't work. It's a mistake. We end up with a God maybe that we like, but it's not the biblical God. It's not the God of the Bible. Like Isaiah said, He is high. He is lifted up. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He's different. He's imminent. He is with us. He's for us. He's intimately present. He is knowable because He's chosen to reveal Himself to us. But at the same time, He's transcendent. That means He's all-surpassing. All His characteristics, all His attributes are above. They surpass anything we've ever observed in a human being. He's incomprehensible, deeply hidden. One of the things I want to do today in, in this first sermon in this series is kind of explain why we've chosen First Peter as a pastoral team for this series. There are themes that are going to emerge in First Peter, we think, and they're going to serve our congregation uniquely. Man, I feel that so strongly. I, tr I pray that's true. I hope to build today anticipation for how 
this book will serve us. First Peter is God-centered. We live in a culture that is man-centered, don't we? First Peter is God-centered. It feels so good today to come and sing songs that are God-centered. To read God's Word. To pray. And it, it feels good to turn to a letter written by an apostle. Two churches that's God-centered. It reveals who God really is. We're going to learn about God's wisdom, His, His power, and we're going to learn especially about His grace. And it's going to allow us to see ourselves clearly and truthfully. It's sobering. But the more we see His infinite glory, the more we see His perfections, we kind of capture what Peter knows about Him. The more satisfying He becomes to our soul. The more we're going to treasure Him. The more we're going to see His beauty. The Christian life is really a quest for the truth about God. It's a journey. Our whole life is a journey that should lead us into a personal encounter with the living God. Calvin said, we all have this sense of divinity and we're on this quest. We want to know God. We have a desire. We have a hunger to understand God better. Matthew Barrett who's become one of my favorite theologians, a young guy, says this, the God of the Bible is a God who is not silent. He's spoken, he's told us what he's like. And in doing so, the Creator and the Lord of the universe has invited us to know Him and enjoy Him forever. Our goal is not to walk away with mere knowledge. Rather, this knowledge of God is meant to lead us into worship. We're, we're starting out on this study of 1 Peter, and my, I want you to anticipate a deeper worship in your life. I hope you'll anticipate knowing God Himself like you've never known Him before we should be that should be true for each and every one of us in every chapter you're going to see the attributes of God and you may have known God for years but my hope is that you'll be surprised by God and you'll discover fresh revelation fresh truth about God that'll fill you with joy regardless of how old you are how long you've served the Lord and known him Peter really wants you to understand your life in this world in relation to the living God. He wants you to see all your life connected to God. America is a very pragmatic country. It's the air we breathe. How do you do it? How do you get it done? How do I make it happen? And we can be influenced by it. This We can want how-tos and not theology and biblical truth. It's doctrine. There are, there are major Christian conferences that are held and they, they promote themselves by, by saying they don't get into doctrine and theology. We're going to show you how to get it done. 
It's almost seen as a value not to study theology. But what Peter is saying in verses 1 and 2 is, I am an apostle of Jesus, and you are chosen by God the Father through the work of the Spirit for obedience to the Son. Peter thinks theology is practical. These two verses are just packed. In fact, we're doing two Sundays on those two verses. So next week, we'll look at the Trinity. It's right there. Hold your applause. I heard one guy say that if you opened a letter like this, people would think you've been reading the Bible too much. It's a heavy, as we used to say, beginning. But Peter sees this as powerful and effective. He's actually after building your faith. It's one of the themes that drew us to this book. Faith. Look in verse 6. He says, your faith is more precious than gold. If you have faith today, it's more precious than money, possessions, relationships, careers, fly rods. It's the most precious thing you have. Faith. So Peter is all about truth. The first two verses just stacked with doctrine because he knows it'll strengthen your faith. And that's what we can anticipate as we study this letter. So, Lord, I pray. I know this is your word. I know this word came through your spirit. I know Peter was anointed. He experienced the sacred anointed when when he wrote this letter. I know it's come to us today by the grace of God. And I pray, Father, that as we study this letter, that we would be transformed. Help us, Lord. We need help. Strengthen this, this precious thing you've given us called faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Some introductory comments. First of all, the author. It's not hidden. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Letter writers in the first century would begin with their name. We end our letters with our name, but he would begin his letter with his name. There's, there, there's no mystery here. Critics over the centuries have tried to say Peter didn't really write this. It's gone nowhere. It's really not even seriously considered these days. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But it's funny because what they, they, they'll try to say Peter didn't write it because you, you can just tell that the things that he teaches are too much like Paul's. Well, maybe that's because they're both teaching truth and it's the same. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, He was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. The author says he's Peter. We just read all about him as we studied Mark. He, he claims to have been a witness of Christ's sufferings. He says he's an apostle. That's who the author of this letter is. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is, is writing to you and me. It's wonderful. It carries weight. An apostle is not the same as a, a disciple. Anyone that follows Christ is a disciple. A disciple is just a learner. An apostle, on the other hand, was somebody who was chosen by Jesus. He chose 12 disciples initially to be apostles during his earthly life. He chose Paul and he chose James after he was raised from the dead. And he commissioned and authorized these apostles to be his official representatives in the world and to speak on his behalf and with his authority. Peter says, I'm writing this letter as an apostle. And what he means by that is I'm writing on behalf of Jesus Christ. I speak in His place. I have His authority. When you read what I write, you read what He says. This isn't His personal opinion. He's been commissioned by Christ. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It has authority in our lives. It's sufficient, which is major in our day. I love God's Word. It is good. It is rich. He's given us truth we need. In addition to being a disciple of Jesus, the author of this letter, Peter was also one of the inner three. James, Peter, James, and John. Jesus chose 12 apostles, but he seemed to pay particular attention to those three guys. I especially like Peter because he was a fisherman. I'm inspired by the fact that he left everything to follow Jesus. We know he was married. We know he walked on water. How many of you walked on water this week? He did it briefly and his faith failed and he started to sink, but he did it. He was, he was the one, remember, in the Gospel of Mark who got it right and said, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. His name was Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter the Rock. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my church on that confession. So I'm going to name you Peter. He's at the pearly gates when you go to heaven. He'll be there to meet you and let you in because he has the keys to the kingdom. Just kidding. <laughs> Jesus invited him to go with him up a mountain and he saw Jesus transfigured. Remember that? His clothes became intensely white like nobody could make them white. Moses and Elijah appeared and Peter said, let's put up three tents so you guys don't go anywhere. I want you to stay. He heard the voice, the Father. And in 2 Peter, you can look there if you'd like to, in chapter 1, verse 16, he talks about it. He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice 
was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the mountain. (laughs) That's what he's saying to us. I was there. I saw it. He went into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. He saw Him weep bitterly. Jesus predicted the disciples would desert Him. Peter said, not me, I'll die for you. And then denied Him three times. But He was wonderfully, fully restored. And when the Spirit was poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost, He preached a powerful sermon and 3,000 people came to Christ. Throughout the book of Acts, He is powerfully used. He prays for people and they're healed. He's thrown in jail because he's so bold. But God miraculously delivered him. He even saw a girl raised, a young girl raised from the dead. Peter was a great man. He's the author of this letter. Now what about the recipients? He says, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who is he writing to? To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Elect exiles of the dispersion in these Roman provinces that is now all in modern-day Turkey. That's who he's writing to. Elect exiles or elect aliens. People who are strangers. People who are pilgrims. We're going to look more in depth at this. But throughout the letter, Peter's emphasis, there's a theme here that these believers in Jesus Christ, who he's writing to, they're suffering for their faith. People see them as dangerous. Why do they see them as dangerous? Because they have a message. And they are intent on sharing this message. They they are seen as, as kind of exclusive. They are evangelizing. It was not popular in the first century. It's not popular in the 21st century. And they are suffering. It's shocking to people how these Christian followers of Christ how they're acting. Same is true today. And he's writing to these people who are being persecuted for their faith. It's not a a big state-sponsored persecution that will come later in church history. It's more local. But it's there. And they are suffering. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary says, the purpose of the letter is to encourage believers to stand fast while they endure suffering and distress in the present evil age. He says, hoping in God is not trivial. It's relevant to us. It's a theme about persecution that I think we need to start studying. To those who are elect exiles. They aren't just exiles. They aren't just strangers in the world. We're going to look at that in more depth. But they, first of all, they're elect. 
So let's look at that first. These recipients are said to be elect. How does a believer become an exile, an alien, a stranger in this world? They are chosen. You are an alien because you were chosen by God. The first word Peter uses in this letter for believers is elect, chosen. And then he uses the three phrases in verse 2 to explain what this means. They are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They are elect by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. They are elect for a purpose, that they may obey Jesus Christ. The, the basis of your election is God's foreknowledge. It becomes a reality through the work of the Spirit. And the goal is to bring glory to Jesus by obeying Him. Again, Thomas Schreiner, divine election reminds the readers that they have a status, they have an identity. Not because they are so worthy or noble, but because God has bestowed His grace upon them. Hence, they, they have the energy to counter accepted cultural norms and to live in accord with God's purpose. Do you think the doctrine of election matters practically? Yes, it does. It does. You are an alien because God has chosen you, and it, it gives you an understanding that empowers you to live against the culture. Peter's writing to people who have been chosen by God, and it's changed their identity in this world. You are an alien, says John Piper, because God reached down before eternity and out of the whole mass of humanity, He sovereignly and freely and graciously chose you to be His. Now, you may not understand the doctrine of election. You may not agree with the doctrine of election. If so, you wouldn't be alone. For, for some, it seems unjust. For some, it seems unreasonable. Some don't think about it much. They just have a low-grade dislike of the doctrine of election. Well, Peter loves it. So get ready. He loves election. He loves this truth that we are chosen, and he especially loves it for people who are swimming upstream who are swimming counter-culturally. He knows they need to know this is no accident. You were chosen just for this. It's just what we need, the doctrine of election. Look in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us to be born again. Something happened outside of us before eternity that affects us today. God chose us. And something happened inside of us too. God worked in us through His Spirit. He caused us to be born again. He gave us the gift of faith. After my conversion, 
I wasn't in fellowship with believers who understood election, who embraced, certainly who embraced the doctrine of election. Many were strongly opposed to it. I didn't really know much, didn't really think about it, but I wasn't in circles that were reformed in their theology, to say the least. <laughs> but even my experience inclined me to see God's sovereignty in my conversion, just the way God saved me. And I remember when I would give my testimony, it would throw people a curveball, and one, one guy, one leader, actually came up to me and said, well, there goes all my theology. I had no idea what he was talking about. What he meant was that my testimony sounded like God caused me to be born again. When I came to Christ, I wasn't in a meeting. Nobody had asked me to make a decision for Christ. I was alone. And when I shared my testimony, it sounded like God saved me. And as I began to read and study Scripture, like, like these verses, I found it easy to receive the doctrine of election because of my experience. I didn't base my understanding of the truth on my experience, but it certainly didn't discourage me. My experience seemed to fit with 1 Peter 1.3. God caused me to be born again. That's exactly what it seemed like happened to me. I think that is what happened to me. I think that happened to every Christian in here. You were chosen. Your heart of stone was taken out. We just read Ephesians 2. A heart of flesh was put in. The old man was crucified. A new man was born. You didn't do this. God did this. You're born new. This is why you are an exile in this world. This is why you're an alien in this world. It's the sovereign work of God. And Peter wants you to understand your life in this world is caused by God. He wants you to see your life in relation to God. He wants you to see all your life connected to God in a significant way. And he knows the doctrine of election explains everything. It explains your past, it explains your present and your future. Far from being embarrassed by the doctrine of election, Peter wants us to live in the good of it. The biblical gospel includes our natural inability to believe. It includes God's free election as the ultimate cause of salvation and the truth that Jesus died specifically for His sheep. Now, people don't want to preach this because it makes Christians, non-Christians feel that it's not in their power to be saved through Christ. But the possibility that that might actually be good isn't considered. But from a biblical perspective, it is very good. It actually will lead you to Christ. J.I. Packer says, 
We appeal to men as if they all had the ability to receive Christ at any time. We speak of His redeeming work as if He had done no more by dying than make it possible for us to save ourselves by believing. We speak of God's love as if it were no more than a general willingness to receive any who will turn and trust. And we depict the Father and Son not as sovereignly active in drawing sinners to themselves, but as waiting in quiet impotence at the door of our hearts for us to let them in. It needs to be said with emphasis that this set of twisted half-truths is something other than the biblical gospel. The Bible is against us when we preach in this way. And I will just say, 1 Peter is against us if we preach in that way. Fallen man in his natural state lacks the power to believe the gospel. He lacks the power to obey the law, and he lacks the power to obey the gospel. You can put all the pressure on him you want, they're not going to be able to obey the Gospels. They can't obey. They can't obey the Gospel until their heart's renewed. Faith is not in man's power. It's God's gift. We have to come to Christ for salvation, but we can't come until Christ draws us. God's election is free. It's sovereign. It's unconditional. Faith is a gift. Christ went to the cross to save the elect, and he succeeded fully. The work of the Spirit to bring the elect to Christ never fails. And we are kept in faith and grace by his power. That's the biblical gospel. And that's what Peter thinks will help you live in this world. Again, J.I. Packer, the Bible asserts that God saves and that He saves those whom He has chosen to save. And He saves them by grace without works so that no man may boast and that Christ is given to them as a perfect Savior and that their whole salvation flows to them from the cross and that the work of redeeming them was finished on the cross. That, that will edify your soul. Secondly, we, we, are, we are elect exiles. Like I said, I want to come back and focus on this now. So we've been chosen, and now we're exiles. So Peter is writing to elect exiles. To those who are, verse 1, elect exiles of the dispersion. Jews who were scattered outside of Palestine were called exiles of the dispersion. And Peter's using this as a metaphor for believers who are exiles, aliens, strangers in this world because they're citizens of another country. They're chosen by God and they are no longer at home in this world. They have a different language. They have different values. They have different rules. 
They have a different authority. He's using the term of the dispersion in a spiritual sense for theological reasons. All Christians are aliens. If you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are an alien, an exile in America. Your your first citizenship is with Christ in heaven. Your second citizenship is in America. And the, the priority, the gap between the two is infinite. I, I'm not someone who really enjoys politics. I can't imagine somebody enjoying politics. But I talk to some of you and I know you do. You really get into politics. I, you and I need to go to lunch and talk about something else, Okay. I don't really enjoy it, but I've been watching the political conventions because of the importance right now. I mean, I would feel like I was not doing my job if I didn't pay attention this year. The importance of this election. The candidates, the parties are offering categorically different pictures of what their vision is for the future of this country. They, they are just at odds. I've read a lot of history. I've been, a, been, a, been alive for a lot of history, actually, now. And uh, I've never seen anything like it. And, and, and even like prior to the Civil War, you know, there's similarities. <laughs> You're starting to wonder. So I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm watching the conventions all the turmoil that's going on in our country, I want to see. There's a, and, and what we can all agree on is, man, there's a lot of passion on both sides. These people are feeling it. It is hard to imagine that the loser of this election is going to be gracious in defeat. <laughs> it really is. Regardless of who loses... It just doesn't feel like they're going to say, okay, congratulations, great (laughs) campaign. I don't think they're going to say that. And we need to think about this. And we need to be God-centered. And 1 Peter is perfect. For the Christian, being a good citizen in America and participating in the process is important, but our citizenship is with Christ in heaven and the priority gap is infinite. America is man-made. America is fallible. Heaven, that's our home. That's our country. That's where our king is. That's where he reigns. That's our home. It's God-made. We have a new king. Jesus is the king of kings. When, When Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, my followers would fight. But it's not of this world. So they don't fight.
When asked about paying taxes, Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. God owns everything. He owns Rome. He owns Caesar. He owns America. He owns our government. He owns all the gold in Fort Knox. He owns you. And we submit to Him. You want to know how this works out practically? Look in 1 Peter 2, 13. And we are going to be looking at these verses right after the election. Intentionally. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governor as as sent by him to punish those who do evil, praise those who do good, honor everyone, verse 17, love the brotherhood, fear God, how do you like this one? Honor the emperor. You think it's hard to honor your congressman. Honor the emperor. John Piper said this, Christians are the best of all citizens when governments are not idolatrous, but just, and they are the most dangerous of all citizens in regimes that are idolatrous and presumptuous against the living God. We're great citizens, but don't ask us to disobey Jesus Christ. If you cross him, we cross you. Peter said, Peter said in Acts 5, we have to obey God rather than man. We're citizens of heaven. We're exiles, we're aliens. In chapter 2 again, he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Once you're not a people, now you are God's people. That's who we are. We're a refugee. And the thing is, we're going to be persecuted for our faith. We're going to be going against the culture. And and we need the grace of God. We're not going to live like the culture and we're going to be mocked and we're going to be slandered. And Peter addresses this. He wants you to understand it's not because you've done something wrong. It's because God chose you. And He has appointed this suffering, persecution, He's appointed it for you. This is His doing. He wants us to have a God-centered explanation for this sense that we just don't belong. We don't belong. We have a new identity. We've been born again. And we're no longer defined by the situation we were physically born in. We live by the values of a different country. We live by the values of our Heavenly Father rather than the culture we were physically born in. So I conclude with this. First Peter is going to give us a chance to think about God. It's going to be very refreshing. You're going to find it, if you go through the week, you're going to find it very refreshing. Because it's going to give us a chance to think about God. I think we're going to be surprised by God. He's different. He's transcendent. And we're going to think thoughts about Him. It's going to be refreshing. We're going to sing songs about Him.
We're going to get our mind on Him and it's going to strengthen our faith in God that is more precious than anything else we have. We need faith right now. I, I anticipate two things. I anticipate hard times coming. I, I anticipate hard times for everybody that's a believer. And I also anticipate God's faithfulness as He reveals Himself from His Word and we experience His grace. And this may be the church's, not just this church, but the church's finest moment. That's what I'm hoping and praying for. So Lord, we humble ourselves today. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this apostle that You chose. We thank You He was a faithful man. And in that sense, He was a great man. We thank You, Lord, that He is writing these words to believers for all time. We thank You we are believers in these words written by Peter are Your words, Lord. They're binding for us. And so, Lord, we need Your Word. I pray, Father, as we walk through this series, everything we anticipate now would happen for the glory of God. And it's in Jesus' name, Lord, that I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.